0: If we will, open your Bibles to Psalm 145, the 145th Psalm. It is so very good to be with you today. Uh, it's always good for us to be together as God's people, uh, to join hearts and minds and voices in worship of God. And want to express my appreciation as well for all you are visiting. Thank you for coming and being with us. We appreciate your presence, and we invite you to come back every opportunity that you have. If you have any questions about what we have done this morning and are doing, please feel free to approach any one of us, and be glad to discuss those matters with you and you know, study God's Word together. God is majestic. He is glorious. He is clothed with splendor. The word majesty is a very common word to believers, and it's a word that we often use in description of God. But do we really understand what the connotation of that word is? In its root meaning, the word majesty has to do with the grandness, the dignity, the power of a sovereign ruler. That's what it has to do with, is the grandness and the power of a sovereign ruler. There is no earthly power and there is no earthly ruler that compares to Jehovah. And we may use the word majesty to describe people in positions of authority in this world in a very limited context. But in its truest sense, God is majesty. God is majestic. And not only is God clothed with majesty, but also so is his kingdom. The kingdom of God is majestic. Now God's attributes of goodness or mercy, whatever attribute you want to consider, is found in some sense, in some way, in the dominion that God rules. For example, God's saints, or God's godly ones, are people who make known the glory of the majesty of his kingdom, it is for that reason I had you turn your Bibles to the 145th Psalm. I want us just to read one small section in this particular Psalm. As you note in verse 8 through verse 13. And then we'll get into our lesson of this morning. It begins in verse 8 by saying, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in lovingkindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk. Of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The kingdom of God is majestic for one reason is because of the fact that it is an everlasting kingdom. God's kingdom is lofty because it is an eternal domain. Now men's kingdoms, no matter how great they are or have been, men's kingdoms have never, never lasted forever History testifies that to us, and we study about those kingdoms of long ago, and they won't last forever, and that is true about our own country, the United States of America. It will not last forever. It, it, is, it is not eternal And so therefore, earthly majesties are nothing compared to the majesties of the eternal God and the eternal King. Uncertainty, insecurities, those things are all around us. And maybe, you know, in the last few decades, we are feeling those a little bit more so than we used to. But that's the way of the world uncertainties and insecurities lasting earthly peace lasting earthly peace that just doesn't happen peace on earth will not last forever on earth wars come and go conquerors are conquered ancient powers of great prestige and significance have been brought to nothing even justice and peace among men is temporary. It's temporary because in this world circumstances are volatile. they're volatile. Lasting stability of goodness is not found in earthly rulers. In earthly powers, no matter how good we may judge a man to be a good leader, no matter how good we think someone could lead in a certain role of power, that stability is not going to last. But God, God is eternal. His sovereignty and his dominion are eternal. The Creator was, and the Creator is, and the Creator forever will be. And so, therefore, He rules over the universe, He rules over the the affairs of men. Do I always know why things happen? No, I don't know. But my confidence is in my God, in my Creator. As earthly kingdoms and earthly powers and earthly nations rise and fall, sometimes even in our own lifetime, God's kingdom endures because He lives and He rules forevermore. So the idea of a foreverlasting kingdom in which true peace is realized. True peace flourishes. True peace endures. Is truly majestic. That's glorious. And such stability is of divine origin, and it is the, it is the divine ideal. And it is the end goal. And access, entrance, into such a kingdom is a worthy pursuit. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you will, turn your Old Testaments over to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promised King David that he was going to establish an eternal throne. David is king, he's God's anointed king at the time. David sits on a throne, and God's promising him, I'm going to establish an eternal throne. And I'm going to take the time to read these verses, and we're going to start there in verse 5 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, where through the prophet Nathan, God is sending his word, his message, his promise to the king in Israel. And he says... Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you, with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own land, in their own place, and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my love and kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when i remove when i removed from whom i removed from before you your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words all this vision so nathan spoke to david so here you have god promising david that he's going to establish he's going to set up an eternal throne now the nation of israel had already experienced some turbulent times in their history. More recently, it was the downfall of King Saul. His reign, his dynasty, that was taken away from him. And you ask the question, did it end well? Did it end well for King Saul? Did it end well for his dynasty? Did it end well, you know, for his house? His family, well, no, it didn't end so well. It was not not a glorious end, but rather it was one with much humiliation. But God's future plans that he speaks of here about a kingdom and a throne, these plans that he talks about in chapter 7, will not be hindered by defeat. They will not be thwarted by death. And God says, I'm going to exalt you, King David. And he was. King David was an exalted king. And he, be- he did become a king of great renown. But God's prophetic promise here spanned way beyond David's life for David died and God said, you're going to die. But my promise is after that time period, because this eternal throne that is going to be uniquely established would not be entirely dependent on David alone. Is David part of the plan? Yes. But is it dependent entirely on David? No, it's not. God was going to exalt. God was the one who was going to exalt this one to become king. He's going to be a descendant of David, and when he's exalted, he says, I will establish his kingdom and establish his throne. God is going to do that. Not David. And that descendant's rule when this is accomplished, it will be glorious. Now, David's son Solomon is the next man in line to sit on the king in, on the throne in Israel. And Solomon was greatly blessed by God. And his reign, wow, his reign definitely was one that it was exceptional times for Israel. But what did Solomon do? Solomon turned away from God. Solomon became unfaithful to God, and it is his unfaithfulness that led to his kingdom dividing. And you see that in 1 Kings chapter 11. And what was kind of behind his unfaithfulness and where did that lead him? And so God then says, I'm taking the kingdom away from you and giving it to one of your servants. But for David's sake, I'm I'm keeping you know, a portion for David. But the kingdom is not going to be what it used to be. Because of you, Solomon. So the lasting nature of this promised kingdom in 2 Samuel chapter 7... This very majestic throne would be God's doing. It's going to be different. It's going to be different from all the other earthly thrones, such as the thrones in Judah, because many of those kings who were in the lineage of David's family, there were sons and grandsons and great-grandsons of King David. And so many of those kings... We were unfaithful and disobedient to God. Those were not very glorious times, not very majestic, did not reflect what God wanted reflected. So the throne and the kingdom that God speaks of and promises to David, though, is one that is going to endure, and it will endure in the presence of God the lasting nature of the majesty of this throne in this kingdom is dependent upon God is dependent upon God's character is dependent upon such things as his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness. That's what's going to cause this promise to be fulfilled one day. And David is going to be part of that fulfillment. But it's God that's going to accomplish it. And he says, and it will be eternal in its nature. It will not be a kingdom that has empty promises. It will not be a kingdom that has a king that is less than what God expects his anointed one to be. In this kingdom, years later, the prophet Isaiah then foretells us that the majesty of this kingdom will be a kingdom where peace endures forever. It is a kingdom of of unending peace for those who are citizens and servants of that king. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, God speaks through his chosen prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah, and he says to them, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Remember, those are two of the northern tribes of Israel. And by this time, the division has been in place for quite some time. For several years, you've had the northern tribes and you had the southern tribes. And Naphtali and Zebulun is up there in the north. And he says, you know, in earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan... Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle, tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire, for a child will be born. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Jehovah's zeal assured the people then that a great light is going to shine one day and that justice and righteousness would be upheld in the coming one's kingdom men's kingdoms do not uphold god's righteousness though god's hand may is involved in every nation that rises and falls but men's kingdoms are not the ones who uphold god's righteousness and they definitely don't do so Forever, even if they do appear to be doing so on the surface. But the divine son's sovereignty here is absolute. Righteousness will not end in this kingdom, and peace will not end in this kingdom because men's yokes are going to be broken and this coming king's rule will pave a path of light for the nations for the gentiles to come not just for israelites but in this kingdom under this king there will be unending peace and unending righteousness and the government will rest on his shoulders And because of the light that this king emanates, men can be and men are lifted up out of darkness, out of defeat, out of oppression, out of burdens in this world. Daniel also speaks of this coming kingdom And the enduring nature of this as well. Over in Daniel chapter 2, if you recall, through Nebuchadnezzar and through God's prophet Daniel, God revealed the establishment of an indestructible kingdom. You turn over to that chapter, you remember there's a dream that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, And he's the king that God, and the country that God is using to chastise and punish and discipline his own people back in Jerusalem and Judah. And so through him and Daniel, God speaks of, God speaks of an indestructible kingdom. In chapter, in chapter 2, just reading a couple of verses, verse 44 and 45, as you're coming to the kind of the conclusion of the interpretation, he says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Who's going to set it up? God's going to set it up. That's what God has been saying all along. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And here again God is saying God's going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will but it will itself endure forever. And as much as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold the great god has made known to the king what will take place in the future so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy at this particular time when nebuchadnezzar gets receives this dream and then through daniel receives its interpretation the kingdom of judah is already in decline and already there are some Israelites who are in captivity and Daniel is one of them. He was in that first group that was taken away as slaves to a foreign land. So civil and, poli- and so civil and political things are in an upheaval. And basically the dream says and it's going to continue to be such in the world. Civil and political future what's going to look like? Well, it's going to be an experience of turbulent changes. You know, not only is Judah falling and and receiving God's wrath, but other kingdoms going to rise and they will fall too. And at a particular time in the future, God knew exactly when. He says, while one of these powers are at play, he says, the majesty himself is going to set up a kingdom of divine origin this is the ultimate superpower god's rule through his son is the ultimate power therein is majesty therein you see the loftiness the grandness the dignity and the power of a kingdom that is eternal, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a kingdom that is accessible to you and me. No power, no catastrophe of any kind could cause God's kingdom to fall and God's kingdom to crumble. No, God says, this is what I'm doing and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And you and I are recipients of it. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, we are reminded and encouraged by the fact that Christians are citizens of that unshakable kingdom of God in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole paragraph, just kind of point out a few verses here. For example, in verse 22, there's a contrast going on between what happened at Mount Sinai and what's happening, in the sense, at Mount Zion of heaven. And he says in verse 20, he says, "'You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven.'" And to God and to Jesus and to blood. Verse 25 see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Then drop down to verse 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The one who speaks here is the one who has power, it is he who has the authority to shake everything. And in this context, it talks about some of the things that God has shaken in times past, and the things that God is going to shake even still in the future. There are shakable things, but he says, but there are also some unshakable things. And one of the things that will not be shaken is the kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of Christ. That is unshakable. And in the end of time, the Apostle Paul writes and tells us over in 1 Corinthians 15 that in the end, that kingdom is going to be handed over to the Father in heaven. It will not cease to be. It's not going to disappear. No, it it is eternal because it is of divine origin. It is of divine making. It is sustained divinely. And that throne on which God's son sits right now, is eternal. He will not cease to be who he is. He rules in righteousness. He rules justly. He rules in peace. And because our terrifyingly holy God is now approachable, Because God has made Himself accessible to us through Jesus Christ, believers, obedient believers of Jesus Christ, enter the kingdom. We have access, not only to God, our Father, and to God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and access to God, the Holy Spirit, but we have access and entrance into this kingdom, the kingdom of the beloved Son. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and verse 14, we are reminded that it is the Father who has rescued us He's rescued us from the domain of darkness there in verse 13. Remember, God is the one who is going to establish this throne. God's going to set up this kingdom. And it is God who is, who is rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness Because redemption and forgiveness are available to us, and praise the Lord for that, we have access to an eternal kingdom, a kingdom of peace, real peace, a peace that flourishes and that will not be taken from us. It's an unsurpassed peace. And we share in that kingdom now by faith. We walk in that kingdom now by faith because that kingdom is not of this world. It is not earthly. It's not an earthly civil political power. It is heavenly. And that's where our citizenship is. Our our citizenship is in heaven, where God is and Christ is, where our king is. And because we share in such majesty, We are called to render to our God the things he is worthy to receive. And that's where he says, Therefore, show gratitude and reverence and acceptable service to him. He says, You are receiving. If you have been redeemed with the blood of Christ and forgiven because you, by faith, have submitted to the king, you've rendered your will. Dead, and you've taken on his will, and you're following him now, according to his commandments. He says, You are receiving a kingdom, and it's unshakable, it's indestructible, and therein is righteousness and justice and peace. And so, it is only right that we reciprocate properly. To one who's so majestic and glorious and clothed in splendor. That he is worthy of our gratitude, he's worthy of our reverence, he's worthy of our service, but it's service that must be acceptable to him. It's not about what we want, it's about what he wants and what he calls us to be and do. God's kingdom in Christ is eternally majestic because it endures forever it is a kingdom that has everlasting peace you know our world offers us empty promises whatever peace we may experience among men in this land will not last it just will not last and history testifies to that truth but where can you find peace? You can find it in God. You can find it in Christ. You can find it in the kingdom of God in Christ. That, the light of that kingdom and the light of that king is shining right now. It's there for you to see it. But do you? Do you see the glory and the majesty of the kingdom that will endure forever? Or has the God of this world blinded us, deceived us, so that we can't see the light that's there because we're engulfed by darkness? He reigns, he's king, and he's coming back one day. To receive those who are his and take him home, take them home with him in heaven. But when he comes to make that judgment and receive his own, he will judge all men according to the deeds that they have done. And if you have not rendered obedience to him by bowing your knee and will to him and submitting to his call, then you're going to bear the wrath of that king. And what a terrifying thing that is, for he is a consuming fire. But that's not what he wants. What he wants is for you and me to call on him, to call on his name in obedience, because we believe him to be God's son. We believe that he died on Calvary's cross and and that death was for our sins. It was for the sin of the world, but it's for my sin and your sin. When we believe that, and it is that death, that atoning death that can redeem me and atone for me. And I believe that, but my faith must move me in obedience to the King's commands. If you not obeyed the gospel of Christ, we would encourage you to do that today. Call on his name in faith by confessing your faith before others that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And repent of the sins you've committed in your life and be buried, immersed with him in water. And you will be forgiven. Because that's not an empty promise. That's the promise of the king. And he keeps his promise. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we invite you and encourage you to please come forward and make your wishes known while we stand and sing the psalm that's been selected.